Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hello, uh, We Have Ways listeners. It's your Thursday special edition. We're going to go bite size of this one. It's just a it's just a juicy nugget. James is writing his book. Um, uh, is in uh, locked away in a secret location that cannot be revealed, <laughs> except for the last two podcasts. Um, and uh, the book. Yeah, now you're right. Now you're writing about Sicily. Now, first things first is, is that it's an interesting. Sicily is often one of those things that like doesn't get the full kind of uh, go over because it's 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 a stepping stone isn't it it's one of the operations that the allies do that isn't it isn't a clinching moment in itself or seen as such is it or decisive moments in itself it's getting it's basically a getting from a to b yeah and and you'll, you'll often read about it like kind of in passing i mean it, 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 I, I, I mean very often you read about tunisia in passing that you know you get you get el alamein as the big sort of showbiz battle um uh, second alamein that that ends that ends Effectively puts the seal on the war in the desert. It doesn't end it, but puts the seal on it. And then, of, and then, of course, the first army turn up. You know, you have got a great, great big thing going on, right? A, 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 anyway, I mean, I think it's, I think it's all quite, it, it's quite interesting. So, so the point I'm making is, Sicily, Sicily doesn't often find itself under the spotlight like this, does it? That's reflected in publishing. I mean, it is quite interesting how publishing works because, of course, you know, there's lots of books on the Battle of Britain, lots of books on, on, on D-Day and so on. And, you know, I've been there and done that and got the T-shirt. Um, you know, but I've been to Sicily a lot and I've been to Sicily actually a couple of times, a few times with the army. You know, they still occasionally do these, uh, what they used to call staff rides, they're now just called battlefield studies. And yeah. it's fascinating going to these places with um, with guys who obviously, and a lot of them have seen quite a lot of action, you know, whether it be in yeah. Iraq or... Or, um, or or Afghanistan and so yeah. on, and so and and uh, you know the weird thing about about, about um, Sicily particularly is a lot of the terrain is not massively dissimilar to certain parts of Helmand Province, and, and having been there and you've been there as well, you you yeah. you know you, you kind of know it's all craggy and rocky and mountainous and there's little green bits and you know but but it is really interesting. So it's very very interesting hearing their their take on it and. As you know, kind of one of my, my big sort of thesis on the Second World War is that generally, when it comes to the narrative of it, it's it's been told in only two of the three levels of war. So that you've got the three levels of war: the strategic, tactical, and operational. Yeah. And the strategic is very obvious. That's your kind of overall aims, what you're trying to do. The tactical is is the coalface of war. That's that's yeah. the guy in his Spitfire, the crew in their tank, you know, PFC Schultz in his foxhole outside San Lo. Um, it's it's that actual kinetic bit. The operational yeah. bit is what kind of binds the two together. It, it, it what um, it, it's it's what enables you to have your realistic strategic vision and enables you to fight in a way that you you can. It, it, it's what decides your way of war, your modus operandi. Uh, and on its basic level, it's 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 the economics of war, but but it's it's the nuts and bolts. It, it's the kind it's of the de- well, it's the delivery of it, isn't it? It's the it's it's how the tactical delivers the strategic. Is the is the is the operation bang on? Yeah, exactly that. And and, and it's basically been left out of the narrative. So if you read most books about the Second World War, 
a lot of them will have an, a particular kind of popular um, narratives of them. You'll get an awful lot about what it's like being in Eisenhower's headquarters. You'll get a fantastic window on his character or Patterns or Monty's or whoever it might be, um, and Churchill and the political leaders as well. And you'll get a fantastic um, uh, overview of what it was like being on the ground, being in your half-track or whatever. But you don't get that middle bit. You don't get that operational level. And you don't see how it works. And actually, the operational level enables you to see all sorts of connections and threads which are otherwise blind to you. You know, about how it works, about how the Battle of the Atlantic is affecting what is going on in in the Battle of Alamein or what is happening in the Far East or how the Far East yeah. is affecting what is going on in Norway or something like that. You know, all these threads that you can only really understand that through a study of the operational level. And once and, and the operational level also tells you kind of how they're doing it. And you know, we were talking about this on the last pod about the kind of, you know, the amazing supply efforts, that capacity to kind of build bridges, yeah. um, you know, 23 and 26 nights in Operation Diadem yeah. or, or, or you know, building a, 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 an airfield on Gozo Island off Malta, mm. you know, in a matter of days by the Americans. You know, it's, it, that's the operational level. And, and once you insert that things start to look a little bit different. The last major work, there's been a number of works on Sicily, but the last major narrative history was by Carlo Deste, who is this right. retired um, American colonel who, by all accounts, is a lovely fellow. I've never met him. Uh, and, you know, he's been incredibly influential. You know, Decision in Normandy uh, yeah. um, and his book on, on the Italian campaign, his book on Sicily. You know, they've been incredibly important books, but they don't include the operational level at all. And so they're just, it's just, how did they fight? You know, yeah. and, and, and so when Carlo Teste sees Eighth Army struggling through the Catania Plain, all he just goes is, oh, they're a bit slow, you know. Uh, or he looks at, looks at the planning, nine different, you know, permutations of the planning. God, what was their problem? You know, and sometimes you need to just take a massive step back and look at it from a, from a, a wider prism and a broader prism. And, and what the operational is always a reflect, you know, I mean, strategic is often a reflection of, of, of politics, uh, after all. But operational stuff can be too, because after all, you're making if you're making operational decisions about where you need an army, then you then you're making decisions about where food's going to go, which means food can't be somewhere else. And you get into this sort of economic thing of opportunity costs and all that sort of stuff. That well, if we spend the shipping here, we haven't got it for there. Which is after all what happens to the Italian campaign. The reason they can't sort of bunny hop their way up the coast. They just don't have enough shipping. No, the, the ships that, which is the thing we talked about with Gary a few weeks ago, the ships don't, the ships don't exist. Yeah, and, they do exist, but they're all, in the Far East, or they're being well, they're in the Far East. Already. They've got somewhere else to be, and they're literally, literally going all over the world, get, getting the ships to where they need them, and that takes months. And and and, and if they're on the water, they're they're not they're not doing their job. Yes, and, and if you've got a, if you've got a landing you know. ship that's been in Salerno or Anzio and you then bring it back to Britain, that's got to be towed or sailed, shipped all the way around through the length of the Mediterranean up yeah. into the Atlantic and into Liverpool or Greenwich or Southampton yeah. or Falmouth or wherever it's going to go to. And then it's got to have a major overhaul because it's absolutely knackered by the time it's done yeah. that level of journey because yeah. this is a, a flat bottom boat, 100 metres long, which has a draft of kind of, you know, four foot eight inches. Yeah. So it's just not designed for ocean going. So that then needs an overhaul. Then you've got to train people to actually do the loading, manning it, operating it, landing it on a beach and all the rest of it. And all that takes time, which is why um, by doing Anzio, they have to push um, Overlord back by a month. Yes. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and of course, why, uh, you know, um, they don't do simultaneous landings uh, in North and, North and Southern France uh, when Overlord starts, which was, the, which was the plan all along, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Sledgehammer and all that. They, 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 they have to sack it off. Because even though the Allies are massively preponderant in terms of resources, it isn't in, it isn't infinite. No, it's and absolutely that, that, not infinite. Which, which which brings you back to the how clever the operational is, because after all, they're having to make these decisions. It's not just they're not just fighting a luxurious war where they can do whatever they like. There's some tough decisions, tough calls to be made along the way. Indeed, but when but but the thing is with Sicily is is two things. So when you're wandering around Sicily, it is it is even today it is a it is a very very tough place in which to just travel around and, and just view. It's kind of, it, you know, in high summer, it looks bleached and, and t- it's just a sort of toughness and hardness yeah. about Sicily. Uh, and, you know, you go into the plains and, and, and around Catania and stuff, and you see that and you think, okay, there's lots of sort of little water features here and rivers and gullies and dikes and all sorts of stuff that you've yeah. got to get across. And you can think, well, that's, that'd be difficult. And then you go to all these kind of hilltop towns, which the Germans go to. And, and one of the reasons the Germans go to is because, A, obviously they've got amazing observation from up there. But also that's where the roads lead. The roads lead from one town yeah. to another and they just wiggle their way up, up the next hill. So from the point of view of the attackers, you're standing on one hill and you think, oh, bloody hell, that was a tough fight. I finally got rid of that, you know, finally cleared that hill. And then you, you look ahead and they're kind of sort of four miles away is another one. And another 10 miles beyond that is another one. And another one, and another one. And then yeah. there's Etna. And you've got to get the other side of Etna before you can get to Messina. I mean, it yeah. must have been so demoralising. And you look at, you, you, you can stand on the top of Osoro, for example, and you look at that and you think, okay, they captured this this place, this entire island, which is 150 miles wide, um, in 38 days. And you go, that has got to be pretty good going. One of the big black marks about Sicily is the fact that so many men got away. You know, something yeah. like 39,000 Germans, I think 60,000, 80,000 Italians, um, plus about 10,000 vehicles, something like that. You know, and that's the big black mark. They got away. Um, but the interesting thing about it is if you look at evacuations in the Second World War, they're nearly always successful. I mean, nearly every single one, everyone gets away, starting with Dunkirk, but I can also think yeah. about the evacuation of Greece, the evacuation of Crete. I mean, you know, they are pretty successful. And, and, and the final thing, of course, is, you know, 39,000 German troops and 10,000 kit, that is not going to make the difference in Italy. And what was the expected uh, uh, time to capture the island? What was the D, D plus... Were they on schedule, ahead of schedule, behind schedule? Yeah, no, they end up being being ahead of schedule. I mean, they're kind of sort of, you know, what they're hoping is that they get on really quickly and just hustle through and get onto Catania and then then go straight up the east coast of Messina and it's kind of, you know, done and buried and they do it in 10 days. But that is absolute kind of best case scenario. I think I think most people are, I think it's it's a 60 day, I think they're expecting it to take. Right. Um, and one of the reasons is because they front load, you know, Montgomery insists on front loading eight armies landings largely with infantry so they've got a lot of it just in case the defense by the sicilians and germans of sicily is much harder than they anticipate and that has to be the right decision because it's same it's exactly the same operation overlord the most important thing when you're mounting the world's largest amphibious invasion works 
<laughs> yeah, or conversely, that it doesn't <laughs> fail. I mean, that yeah, is just yeah, more, inconceivable more point, yeah. at that point. Yeah. It, it, you know, nothing can be taken for chance, which means you've got to be overcautious. And, and because they front-loaded with infantry, in actual fact, the landings are much more successful and much easier than they anticipate, uh, which is great. So there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But consequently, they haven't got as many vehicles on shore quickly in the first, first D plus one, plus two, plus three as they might have done if they'd been you know, slightly less on infantry yeah. and heavier on mechanisation, which then means they've got to basically go by foot to the Catania Plain, which, of course, takes time. And there's only certain roads that you can use, and those are quite easy to block, uh, which yeah. the Germans do, which then means that, that by the time they get into the Catania Plain, the Germans have reorganised themselves and they've created the Havkamp Linear, which is the kind of sort of main defence line, all around the kind of foot of... Um, uh, uh, of Mount Etna overlooking the plain where all their guns have got the eyes on anything that moves in the Catania plain and consequently it just turns into a slogging match but you can't criticise Montgomery for that you know that's that's just the nature of the beast that's the nature of having kind of front loaded the, the invasion in yeah. the way it was which quite clearly is the correct decision not least because so many of the objections that originally put to Montgomery's plan are neutralised by the amazing effort of the air, Allied air power, and it's a really, it's actually a really good. Um, uh, they've kind of found the right template for what then becomes uh, D Day. You you the, cannot the, you cannot overestimate the lessons learned from Sicily because I think it's it's always, I think it's always really interesting when people talk about Overlord. They get really hung up on Dieppe on the Dieppe raid again. You know because that's Dieppe the, tells that's you the last. That's the last time anyone. Well, no, they, you can't take a port and all that, you know. But 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 people always always focus on Dieppe rather than. Well, hang on a minute. Only only a, a year before, they, they, there's this great big thing that happens. Uh, one of the big things that they learn from Sicily is that you can't have um, uh, people running operations and planning at the same time. You need to you need to separate the two. Yeah. So so what happens for Overlord is that that Eisenhower and Montgomery and, and the Airmen, Spots and all the rest of it, they're all kind of taken out of the Mediterranean and sent back yeah. to England to plan yeah. just for Overlord. So their minds yeah. are fully focused on the job rather than kind of hurtling around the front in Tunisia whilst at the same time trying to then hurtle back to Algiers for a meeting with Force yeah. 141 and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, and it's just a terrific story because it's got everything you possibly want. It's got naval power, it's got air power, it's got tussles with Spitfires and Messerschmitts, it's got heavy bombers, it's got special forces, it's got Paddy Main and the special raiding squadron, um, it's got glider operations, it's got our friend Jim Gavin, it's got mad German <laughs> It's got Fauschen and when's it, and when's it in the shop? It's got the lot. <laughs> it's even got Canadians. It's got Canadians. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much. We hope you've enjoyed our uh, Thursday nugget. Um, you better get back to Syracuse. Uh, yeah, I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, they haven't even can. landed yet. Yeah. If I'm thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Cheerio. Cheerio. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, <laughs> or people will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. 
We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.